Otherwise, just a little sleepy because it's it's 15 minutes until my bedtime, so we're gonna have to record <laughs> yeah. this in oh, very Jeremy, fast. I'm 14 sorry. minutes now. Oh, oh my goodness! No, <laughs> it's gonna be a short episode. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and for this episode, I want to just eliminate all the silly titles, occupations, and accomplishments. I'm simply here to have a heart-to-heart talk with my friends. Oh. Yeah. Just that me. fitting? That's fully true? There's no punchline coming? I mean, I referenced a song on the album we're talking about today. Is that not enough for you? <laughs> That's not enough. That's silly. And and following the exact form that we've been doing. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm fucked up. Let's just reschedule this whole thing. I'll try and think of a better intro. <laughs> no, you did well, Sean. No. Well, I'm, I want to stay in the same vein as Sean and just be an earnest, honest man. I just want to dedicate myself to something, like very passionately. I think I need a new job as an electrician. Hmm. Mm. Another new occupation for you? Yeah. I'm going to stick to this one, though, through to the end. (laughs) So you're just going to be an electrician (laughs) from every episode on? I'm going to be a a lineman. For the county? (laughs) the county you got any specific place you're gonna maybe relocate to to take this job (sighs) no i can't think of anywhere to go (laughs) may i suggest wichita fine all right cool that's settled anybody else here (laughs) well we have a a reference to a song on this album a reference to a song not on this album (laughs) and i am co-host peter cook author of the new book exploring successful duet albums and why they worked when so many fail. Read about legendary collaborations between Jane Birkin and Serge Gainsbourg, Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway, and of course, Bobby Gentry and Glenn Campbell. The book is called Hybrid Theory, exclusively sold at bookstores in the Lincoln Park neighborhood of Chicago. Oh, my goodness. Well done. Well done. Peter, I love it. <laughs> and of course, joining us again on I'd Buy That for a Dollar is a returning guest who is a healthcare worker, record collector, all around music enthusiast, DJ Mahogany, aka Mark Weathersby. That is correct. Thank you, Peter. And once again, uh, glad to be here. My name is Mark Weathersby, and I am a CEO of this wonderful company called We Do It Together. And um, I am opening up a second location where I look into selling little green apples Ooh. for those who dare to dream. <laughs> 
And is this business based in uh, Indianapolis? This new location, perhaps. perhaps? Okay. Perhaps. <laughs> Mystery location. <laughs> very, very elusive. A very, very deep, dark mystery that shall be brought to light very soon. A little mystery there. Perfect. <laughs> well, Mark, this is Thank so... Thank you, guys. Yeah, this is so fitting that you're on again to talk about a duet album. I believe the last time you were on was the Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway duet album. Yes, and I am a huge fan of duet albums. It is just... I love that format so, so much. And this is... What we're going to be talking about today is one of my favorites. Well, you love that format, and so did uh, many audiences in the 1960s, because yes. there was a lot of copies of this record pressed. A lot. This is a record you see everywhere. And I think now is the time to reveal to our audience what it is. That is correct. We are going to be talking about the fantastic duet album between the legendary Bobby Gentry and the very, very talented Glenn Campbell. But not legendary. <laughs> Are you making that distinction? <laughs> Do we, should we put that on record? Bobby Gentry, legendary Glenn Campbell. Eh, he's fine. Eh, talented. <laughs> he made a lot of he's, songs. He's, a, he's prolific. You know, he played a lot of songs. He's prolific. He's very prolific. Yeah. He's, a, he's a good dude. He's he was, good he was dude. only a member of the Beach Boys before this, unofficially. <laughs> you know, unofficially as a member of the Wrecking Crew, one of the best backing bands ever assembled we can we can talk a little bit about that later though sure what do we want to start as far as giving people a taste of these two legendary and talented artists <laughs> <laughs> well let's give them a little taste this album was comprised of some original tracks with some covers but this track i think is the perfect way to introduce you to the talents <laughs> and the legendary Bobby Gentry and Glenn Campbell. This is Sunday Morning. Perfect. That is side B, track three. Sunday morning. Sun shining from your eyes. Sleepy face smiling into mine Sunday morning Lots of time with nothing to do Lots of time spent with you On Sunday morning It's so quiet in the street We can hear the sound of feet walking by I'll put coffee on the brew We can have a cup or two And do what other people do On Sunday morning Sunday morning, Sunday morning Sunday, Sunday, I love Sunday, Sunday morning Come hold me in your arms I love you Lots of time with nothing to do, lots of time spent with you 
on Sunday morning It's so quiet in the street We can hear the sound of feet walking by I'll put coffee on the brew We can have a cup or two And do what other people do On Sunday morning Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday, Sunday I love Sunday, Sunday morning Come hold me in your arms I love you Yes, everything's alright Sunday morning that track is a good showcase for their voices blending together perfectly. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with that song outside of this version? No. I am, actually. Oh, are you? Which versions do you know? I am. Um, the Spanky and Our Gang version. Yeah, that was the hit yes. in, in 1967, so the year before this record. This record was 1968. It was actually written by an American Baroque and Sunshine Pop songwriter and performer named Margot Gurian. She had been the secretary for jazz guru Creed Taylor in the mid-1960s, and after Creed Taylor heard a tape of her songs, he helped her connect with the right people to start getting popular artists to record her songs like Bobby Sherman and Jackie DeShannon, and then Spanky and our gang did a version of Sunday Morning and... It was a hit, and then I think this is, it's been recorded a lot. This was among the earliest versions. There's a lot of songs on this record that I really love, and a few kind of snoozers, but uh, that one is probably my favorite on the record. And the thing that I love about it is it's probably the closest this record gets to psychedelia. Like, it's got this brilliant kind of light, breezy, psychedelic vibe to it. It's like just a peak of influence from the counterculture of the time i agree that's why i love that track as well just exactly what you stated it kind of sort of tiptoes towards the psychedelic sound but not quite yeah but just enough and it just it just works it just works they're just subtly hinting that maybe they're not super stoked about the vietnam war but they don't really want to come out and say that <laughs> pretty much pretty much yeah that song and several of these songs were recorded less than an, a week after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Heavy times. And yeah. Heavy, heavy times. It is worth noting the person credited as arranger and conductor on that track is Tommy Oliver, who is a prolific composer, arranger, and producer in the music business. And he had done albums for Doris Day Donnie and Marie Osmond and Jefferson Airplane, some of their early psychedelic works. So that might be why, right around the same time, so that might be why it's leaning in that psychedelic direction. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Uh, I think my favorite part about this track is actually, I'm one of the nerdy people. I don't know if anybody else does this or anybody else out there in, in podcast land does this, but there are certain songs that as the song fades out, I like to turn up the volume just to get every every morsel of that song as it fades out. And there's a great thing that happens as the song fades out where Glenn shouts out, Bob, did you say everything's all right? Yeah. And it just kind of sort of, it just kind of sort of, just really just seals the deal for that song. It's just such a little fun thing to, mm -hmm. to happen. Yeah, I love that moment. 
I'm glad you brought up that specific point because I almost wondered if that was specifically in response to the tumultuous current events, then current events happening around them. That was definitely my interpretation of that moment yes. for sure. I feel the same. I felt that, that same vibe coming from that. It's perfect. It's just a perfect way to end that song. Well, before we get too much further in to the details and history going on here, do you guys want to play a quick little game, a little icebreaker, kind of get loose? I definitely do. I feel awkward about the way you and I started off on this episode, Sean. I, I <laughs> all right, well, let's, let's bring it all together. We are going to play our newest segment. We had a good time. We introduced it. We're going to do it again. It's called, What's Your Favorite Song About? That's, that's the me trailing off. About. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hot new title. <laughs> All right. So we explained this to Mark ahead of time, and we introduced it in a previous episode. But real quick, I will be asking the folks here what their favorite song is about a specific thing. And there will be every question points towards a song and you have to pick a different song than the obvious choice. So let's just play. First question. Okay. What's your favorite song about having friends in low places? Mm. Uh, me and Bobby McGee. Perfect. Mm. That's what friends are for. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I was very worried that someone was going to take my pick for this one, and you guys haven't yet, so. Oh, okay. What about your friends by TLC? Perfect. Oh, mine is uh, "Get Low" by Lil John and the East Side Boys, featuring the Yin Yang <laughs> Twins. <laughs> nice. Perfect. Perfect. Well, what's your favorite Perfect. song about being caught butt naked banging on the bathroom floor? Uh, back mm. that ass up by Juvenile. Okay, cool. Ooh. Backdoor man, mm. the Doors. He's just offering that up. Anybody could take it. Oh, I'm just going to keep thinking of more. All right, nice. <laughs> Fantasy by Mariah Carey. <laughs> Loose Caboose by Joe Tex. Ooh. Also, uh, Loose Booty by Sly and the Family Stone would work. Ooh, yes. It's a good one. That's a really good one. She came in through the bathroom window by the Beatles. Oh, perfect. Ooh. Mine is, oh, of course, Peter. Private Eyes by Daryl Hall and John Oates. Oh. Those private eyes, they're watching you. They're watching you, man. All right, last question. What's your guys' favorite song about how you did it all for the Nookie? <laughs> oh, my. Love to Love You, Baby by Donna Summer. Mm hmm. Uh, fantasy, Mariah Carey. <laughs> <laughs> All I Really Want to Do by Bob Dylan. It's kind of the opposite, Ooh, that's, actually. That's the opposite. <laughs> Masters of War by Bob Dylan. <laughs> Contort Yourself by James Black and the Whites. I'm going to be 500 miles, the, the Proclaimers. Perfect. You would walk 500 miles for the Nookie. Mine is, of course, <laughs> My Way by Frank Sinatra. Okay. And that's <laughs> how you play What's Your Favorite Song About? Okay. All right. You guys want to talk more about Glenn Campbell and Bobby Gentry now? Yeah. Let's do that. Dot, dot, dot. I think it would be good to 
discuss some of our background with these artists, either or really. Mark, you're the guest. Would you like to go first? Sure. I um, would like to tell you how basically this came into my life, this record in a weird way. My parents have always told me that they paid for very unique babysitters for me and my younger sister. And one of those babysitters was HBO. And having HBO in the early 80s, for anybody out there who had HBO in the early 80s, it was a wealth of babysitting in terms of certain movies just being showed on repeat over and over again. One afternoon, after school, I came home and there was this movie on HBO with Robbie Benson and Glennis O'Connor. Now, I caught the movie kind of in the last third and watched it and remember just how kind of unique it was in a weird way, how dark it was. It kind of sort of made me wonderfully nervous and uncomfortable in a weird way. And then when the credits rolled, it really struck me. And that's when I found out the name of the movie was Ode to Billy Joe. And that's how Bobby Gentry came into my life, was through the film adaptation of her song, Ode to Billy Joe. And those of you who have seen the movie, it is, it is quite an interesting film. It was filmed in my home state of Mississippi. It was directed by Max Bayer, who played Jethro on the Beverly Hillbillies. And I'm not a type of guy who spoils anything, and I'm not going to spoil it here, but let's just say this movie has quite a weird and unique twist <laughs> with regards to how everything plays out in accordance with the song. But basically, that's how Bobby Gentry came into my life. And I fell in love with the song Ode to Billy Joe just based on the ending credits of that movie. That song really struck a chord with me. It struck a nerve with me. And then on one of my many trips to Memphis, Tennessee with my dad, where we would go digging for records, I found a cheap copy of Bobby Gentry's Ode to Billy Joe. And he got it for me and listened to it. And I fell in love. And as the years went by, I found out more about Bobby Gentry. And then Reba McIntyre had a big hit song on the country charts with Fancy, found out that was a Bobby Gentry cover that made me investigate her even more. Found the album Fancy by Bobby Gentry in the dollar bin and um, just came to love her even more. And then years later, I came across this wonderful duet album that we're showcasing today. And I found that in the bins at one of my record stores here in Athens, Georgia, Lo Yo Yo Records. And um, just fell in love with this record, fell in love with their voices. She's just such, I don't know, such a, a beautiful, enigmatic figure. And then with Glenn Campbell, I fell in love with that voice. Hearing Wichita Lyman for the first time literally almost moved me to tears because of, his, of just that beautiful voice. And they're just phenomenal together. Their voices just, are just phenomenal together. This record is just, ugh, melts my heart. I love it. And yeah, they both have slightly unique vocal styles that really complement each other very well. Like, Glenn has this amazing, like, highly emotive style, but his voice is maybe a little on the thin side and, like, a little more higher pitch, whereas Bobby has this, like, resonant, deeper voice. And it just, they blend so well on this record. Yeah, I kind of heard it as like Glenn having this sort of solid base for Bobby to kind of like 
spring off of and i don't know i felt like bobby it kind of shines more <laughs> on this even though glenn's more out front in a lot of it she's a bit jazzier as a vocalist and he gives her a solid bass to, yeah. do, to do that off of i would agree yeah yeah I think the most common criticism I've seen for this record that I would agree with is that Bobby is, in general, underutilized. Yeah, agreed. You know, I had a thought to what you are saying earlier, Mark. There's not enough movies made about songs anymore. What a weird trend that mostly doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> There's the <laughs> Alice's Restaurant movie. <laughs> yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so weird that... There was that trend. I mean, there's a movie called Take This Job and Shove It with Robert Hayes that's based on the Johnny Paycheck song that was written by David Allen Coe. I mean, it's just a wild time. Yeah. A movie based on, there was a movie based on Harper Valley PTA. Yeah. Songs that, you know, totally captured people's imaginations and were on the radio every hour. It crossed over from, you know, from country into pop and when there was more monoculture and just everyone remembers Ode to Billy Joe, who was alive in that time period. Everyone remember, yeah. everyone remembers Harper Valley PTA. And it's, it's funny because there's songs that are still well remembered, but because they were so big kind of became their own thing. I, I think that they've also sort of in a way been lost to time in a sense. <laughs> like I didn't know Ode to Billy Joe until I was, in my 30s, I wasn't really familiar with the song or didn't understand how much it just sort of was a moment in time in 1967, 1968. That, that trend, I feel like, has happened to maybe a lot of the records we've talked about where they were so big for a short period of time that everybody heard it and loved it and then quickly got sick of it. And anyone that wasn't the right age when it came out is just never gets to experience it because no one wants to go back anymore. <laughs> got burned out right at the beginning. That's how I feel about Wild Wild West, the Will Smith movie that they made after the song. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the song wasn't related to the movie until after the oh fact. Oh, my that, that God. That is fact, right? <laughs> well, they made the song, and then they were like, we should make a movie of this. This, this song is so graphic. <laughs> it's so visual. So you're saying there was a point where everybody in the world was really hyped on Wild Wild West, the song and the movie, <laughs> and pretty quickly sure, decided yeah. that it's time to collectively forget about both of them? Yeah, and ask Gen Z about it. They don't know what you're talking about. All right. <laughs> well, you and everybody else in the world, apparently. God, I saw that opening weekend. <laughs> so as we mentioned, this was released in 1968. And it was four months after Glenn Campbell's ninth album, A New Place in the Sun, which was one of four albums released by Glenn Campbell in 1968 alone. And it was just three weeks after Bobby Gentry's third album, Local Gentry, and one of three albums that she released that year. <laughs> they were just, wow. Capital were just selling both of these figures to the public and they, you know, here, let's give them both of them at once. <laughs> and it was a big hit. It was number one on the U.S. Billboard Top Country LPs and number 11 on the U.S. Billboard Top LP charts. It did well in Canada and fared okay in the UK as well. So people just couldn't get enough of either of these musicians. 
at this point in time. But I had read, though, that there was also the thing of Bobby Gentry's second and third records were not really selling as well and getting kind of experimental. And there was this worry that she was losing her commercial appeal and that pairing her with this hot, squeaky clean pop star, Glenn Campbell, would maybe like bring her career back a little bit in some people's eyes. I think that was part of the intention with Capital, but at the same time, she was still a popular public figure, even if her albums, I mean, it, like we said, we've mentioned, Ode to Billy Joe was so big that yes, it was just, I think the hype on that was just kind of dying down and her other albums were going unnoticed. Mm-hmm. But they were still both really in the public eye at this point. Glenn Campbell was coming off of a summer hosting a replacement show for the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. He had had Bobby Gentry on as a guest. And they were already in the process of recording this album at that point. Uh, But when the two of them would perform together, it became clear to the public that their voices complemented each other. They had recently toured together before recording this too, right? Yeah, and Bobby Gentry was also coming off of hosting a six-week summer variety special on the BBC network, which had made her the first female songwriter to host a TV series on the network, and Glenn Campbell had guested on that program. So people were already very used to seeing them perform together with all of that in mind. So yeah, she, as just her solo records, weren't doing well, but I think she was still a big celebrity, and yeah, maybe this would streamline her, p- pairing her with Glenn Campbell, who was just, his records were selling, his shows were doing well. So yeah, they put them together. And most of these songs were done in the same session on April 11th of 1968. They did a few at the in the summer as well. And it was also, it's just worth mentioning, it was co-produced by Bobby Gentry's producer, Kelly Gordon, and Glenn Campbell's producer, Al DeLore. So they had both figures that they were comfortable working with in the studio overseeing this project. So most of these are not originals by Bobby Gentry and Glenn Campbell, but there are a few and they're remakes of songs that they had already recorded solo. And we were the next one we were going to do was Glenn Campbell's Less of Me, which is side A, track one. Let me be a little kinder Let me be a little blinder To the faults those about me Let me praise a little more Let me be when I am weary Just a little bit more cheery Think a little more of others And a little less of me Let me be a little braver When temptation gets me waver Let me strive a little harder To be all that I should be Let me be a little meeker With the brother that is weaker Let me think more of my neighbor And a little less of me 
introspective and I do love songs I love several types of songs let me back up a little bit I love songs that tell a story and I love songs that are very simple yet effective packs a powerful punch and then there are songs that are written that are just kind of brimming with this wonderful positivity and less of me is a song that just brims with this wonderful positivity. And if you look at the lyrics, it's basically the protagonist is basically looking within himself or herself and saying, even though I may be a little weary, I need to or can be positive and share that positivity with others. And, you know, I may be tired, but I can, you know, still be positive for others. I may be a little meeker, one of the lyrics says, but, you know, but I can be, you know, stronger for the for my brother or my neighbor. And so it's just that wonderful positivity in this song that just really sells it for me. And then hearing them sing together like that is just the icing on the cake. I think it's a fantastic track, and that's really why I dig it. It's interesting because the lyrics feel as if it's almost like an overtly Christian song, but it's it's not coming out and saying that like it just has themes that could work in the, as a Christian song context, but also as just a general positivity message. Yeah. Yeah. And I dig it. And like I said, their vocals together, man, it's just the smooth icing on top of that positivity cake. I just really mm-hmm. dig it. <laughs> Great way to open the record. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And, you know, we're not going to feature a clip of this song, but the opening track is followed by them doing a version of the song Little Green Apples, which is not a song that I like. I usually really hate it when people cover that song, but I think this is the only version of that song I've ever heard that I think is actually pretty good. Maybe not great, but I don't hate their version like I do every other version. Yeah, Sean, I have to agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> I have to agree with you with regards to that. I feel the same way. Well, and I think that's a testament to the versatility of both of these musicians, which is it's interesting because I feel like you know, they were marketed as country pops musicians and they became country pop stars, but they could have been so many different things, both of them. As we alluded to earlier, Glenn Campbell, I didn't have any clue that he was this top-notch session player in the early to mid-60s before he became a solo artist. And yeah, he plays on five songs on the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds. He replaced Brian Wilson on the road during tours in 1964 and 65. I won't even go into the list of 
all the records he appeared on because it's just ridiculous. You got to look it up. Go down that rabbit hole yourself, listener. Did you, any of you kind of look into that a little bit? Yeah, I was stunned. It's endless. Flabbergasted. Yeah. It's it's amazing. <laughs> it's endless. It's really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was known as like a really hot and very versatile guitarist before anybody was thinking of him as a singer. Yeah. Yeah, people didn't even, a lot of the musicians working around him didn't even have a sense that he had that ability <laughs> until they started hearing him on the radio. Yeah, and there was a lot of session players from that time who maybe had a couple solo records that just didn't really go anywhere. And yeah, it was not quite as common for someone as deep in the session game as he was to become a legit like superstar. For sure. And I have to think some of his former session players are playing with them on this record. Yeah, that is a benefit of, of having that solo career is he uh you know had the phone numbers of all the best players in the world basically. <laughs> yeah, he sure did. The players on this album were just really, really great. And uh, some of the arrangements on these songs are I know can be uh they sound very nineteen sixty eight. They're definitely a product of its time, but I, I still do feel that there's a, a unique charm about it. I really do. And just like I said, their voices together, man, uh, just works so well. When he's originally from Arkansas and she's from Mississippi. They're about five, six hours apart where they, where they lived. And, you know, ultimately that might be why both of them ended up being marketed in this direction. But, you know, like I've heard Bobby Gentry sing, jazz and it's incredible <laughs> and, and he could i feel like glenn campbell he could have been a, a like a straight up rock musician as well <laughs> yeah i was surprised when i read a little bit about both of their histories how parallel they actually are as far as being you know multi-talented musicians that could play all kinds of instruments great songwriters but even like their histories they kind of come from the same-ish beginnings. Yeah. Yeah, and there, there's a wealth of information out there on that that we just don't have the time to go into on this episode, unfortunately. We, Glenn Campbell's someone that I think we can easily cover again at some point, one of his solo records. Bobby Gentry, this is about the only opportunity we're going to get yeah. <laughs> to, to talk about her. So I was thinking that next we could feature... The only original of hers on this record, it was actually the first single released from this album, Morning Glory, and that is Side B, track two. Good morning, morning glory. Good morning, what's your story? Good morning, where'd you spend the night? Where did your night dreams take you? Sorry, but I had to wake you. Oh, I just had to make you shake your precious morning light on. Oh, 
Good morning, sleepy baby. You know, I'm thinking maybe I love you even more today. Every time you go to sleep, I'm jealous of the dreams that keep you awake. example of the magic of Bobby Gentry's voice right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And another example of that kind of breezy psychedelic sound that we heard before. Yeah, I mean, I already said that Sunday morning is my favorite track on this, but that song is a close second. Love you like the, the morning tracks. Yeah. Anything with the word morning in it with a good apostrophe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. That was, that was a re-recording of a, a song that had been on her second album, The Delta Suite. And as I mentioned, it was the first single. It did okay, but it was actually their version of Let It Be Me on this album that was the biggest hit. And you can find really good footage of them performing that together if you go to YouTube. Mark, I think you sent that to me. And I did. It's hard to believe watching them perform that there was no... And I'm not saying that there was, but it's hard for <laughs> watching them perform together. It's hard to fathom that there was no romantic connection between the two. You would, I'd be convinced that they were in love watching them perform together. The chemistry in those clips are just electrifying. I mean, Peter, you're right. It's, the chemistry between the two of them is so strong. You just really believe that they... Uh, you know, may have had something going on, but it's just, it's just the magic, man, that they had together. I think that's what really brought people to this record. You know, their vocals, just that chemistry they had. It was very, it was very apparent. It was very strong. And that's what makes this work. Mm -hmm. I had seen Glenn Campbell say that the recording process for this record was just very natural and loose and fun. Like the two of them just got along really well worked great together you know maybe they didn't have the romantic relationship but we talked about them coming from a similar area and like a similar economic background so it just feels like they had a lot in common they could relate to each other really well and like i said they had like co-headlined a tour shortly before this and as the tour went on they would do more and more songs together and it was quickly the audience highlight and then they did the tv shows so just the chemistry and the way these two got along was the selling point for pretty much everybody from what I understand when this record came out. Yeah. And it's a shame that they never did another one. There were plans to do that and it was scrapped. 
Well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, Bobby Gentry's music career only lasts a few years after this. <laughs> she has a very mm-hmm, short yeah. run that she's actually releasing albums. It's like six, six years, not even six years. I think it's like five years. Wow. And they recorded a follow-up song for like a planned follow-up record, and then it just never came out. Or never got recorded, at least, the full album. Yeah, they did the All I Have to Do is Dream by the Everly Brothers. Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, and I, I saw that like some later reissues of this record include that track. Yeah, yeah, there are later reissues that are like a different sequencing and include that track. Yeah, Bobby Gentry, many people may be aware, of course, the, there's a very popular episode of Cocaine and Rhinestones that details her career very thoroughly and i can recommend listening to that i have to admit now that's actually where i first heard of bobby gentry (laughs) (laughs) that's a great episode of cocaine and rhinestones um is the episode about bobby gentry it's definitely one of the highlights of that podcast but yeah she's man she's she's just amazing she's one of my favorites she's just so awesome and she has disappeared from the public eye since the early 1980s she has just decided to live a very private life and there's very little information out there other than that she is still alive (laughs) unfortunately glenn campbell passed away in 2017 from complications due to alzheimer's yeah i was unfamiliar with you know what he was recording at the end of his life and i had read the last song he recorded was called I'm Not Gonna Miss You. And I was like, what is that? Like, <laughs> oh, did, you, a... did you listen to it? Did you watch the video? Yeah, that was It's like the saddest song ever. <laughs> yeah. I was telling my partner about this record and playing some songs off it and mentioned that I'm Not Gonna Miss You, that Glenn Campbell song, was like, I'm not even going to play that for you right now. There's no need to go down that, <laughs> just like crying uncontrollably right now. <laughs> Yeah, I think if you've ever known someone who has gone through Alzheimer's, uh, it's it's hits you right in your core, and that was part of Glenn's message is like, I recognize it's the people around me who are going to suffer. I'm going to be clueless as to what's going on, but yeah. Well, I'm not familiar with that. I, maybe I'll find the right day to go... <laughs> Just there. have a good cry. Yeah. 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 If you need an emotional release. <laughs> it's a powerful song. Well, Sean, did you happen mm-hmm. to do that thing you do and put together a short list of recommended similar albums? Boy, did I. I'm shocked. There's there's a lot of recommendations that I could make based around this. I actually wrote four down instead of the usual three, and I could do even more. Um, but one of the first... I thought of was one of the most famous duos in country music that the the duo format was especially popular in the country world at this point. And I really love the George Jones and Tammy Wynette record, me and the first lady from 1972. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a duo that I would compare this to. Of course, Mm -hmm. they have a lot of records together and there was at one point, a romantic partnership going on there. Of course, they continued to record after that was done. Yeah, the illusion of their relationship was so popular, they had to keep it up after it had completely fallen (laughs) apart. (laughs) 
next recommendation, one that leans a little further into that psychedelic feel if you want that. But Joe South Introspect from 1968 is a big favorite of mine and one that Ooh, will definitely yes. feature someday. Oh my gosh, what a great record. Mm-hmm. Great, great record, Sean. Love yeah, that album. A, he's a great songwriter and great session player as well. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to talk about him soon. Next recommendation, a recently featured record on an episode, Jackie DeShannon's To Be Free from 1970. Great episode, guys. I want to tell you what a great episode that was. I have a couple of Jackie DeShannon records in my collection. I do not have that one. And ever since I listened to that episode, I am going to be on the lookout for that record. To all of you who are listening to this right now, you haven't listened to that episode, please listen to that episode. It's truly fantastic can't help yourself you just got to promote us huh (laughs) i I can't i can't help it. he's consistent about that promoting our podcast (laughs) while on our podcast (laughs) (laughs) well while you're thank you sean and and mark while you're at it while you're promoting things is there anything that you would like to promote to our listeners (laughs) well hang on i said i had four records and i only named three oh okay i'm sorry I thought it was a good time to segue to that. It would have been under normal circumstances. <laughs> Final suggestion, one that's a bit of a departure, but has some similar elements and also came out in 1968, Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66, their album Look Around. They obviously had more of the Brazilian bossa nova tropicalia influence going on, but uh, they would often be covering pop songs of the day and have like a similar kind of lounge pop feel to this and easy to find records can't recommend Sergio Mendez enough yeah yeah and you know that's a good point to make about this record being such a big seller and one that you can find anywhere and everywhere that there are used records is it is a really perfect blend of you know country pop lounge it just it seems like it covers everything that a wide variety of listeners might have been looking for in 1968 a great record to put on when you're doing a variety of things around the house and hear fantastic musicians and wonderful voices together agreed well mark yes while Peter. you're with us is is there anything you have planned for the future <laughs> that you would like to tell our listeners about maybe for I a am... third or fourth time <laughs> and do you just happen to have any creative ventures that have been marinating for years at this point that you would like to share <laughs> yes um I, I have been talking about this podcast that I've been working on called 12 Inches of Pleasure that has not come to full fruition yet, but I'm inching closer to getting the goal accomplished with getting this out. And basically, it's going to be a podcast where I talk about some of my favorite 12-inch singles from the DJ Mahogany collection. And um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I uh, promise it will be worth the wait. <laughs> and, uh, we believe you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank Word you. Word around out. the campfire is that you recently had a former Kalamazoo musician record the theme song. 
I did. Uh, a gentleman that all of you know, and he lived in Athens, Georgia for a little while, and he's still around in Georgia. My dear friend, Andrew Franklin Mansberger, has created a theme song for my podcast, but you guys know him as Frank Fuzz. True. Wait, true? Okay, all right. I love it when you say that, Jeremy. I know. Um, <laughs> Can I make a recommendation for your your first episode? Yes. Uh, I Need a Doctor. It was the first single from Dr. Dre's Detox album that is forthcoming. <laughs> oh, jeez. Wait, was that all just a dig? Was that just a big setup? <laughs> Jeremy, I deserved that. I was savage. I'm sorry. Dig. I deserve that shade. It just got so dark in here that you can barely see me. (laughs) Yes, that shade was very warranted. For our listeners not familiar, Detox is a famous, famously unreleased album that will now never be released. (laughs) Wow, Jeremy, you're you're cold. I had to do it. I need a doctor after that burn. (laughs) Oh, ooh. Well, I've got your ointment for you, Peter. I've got your <laughs> ointment for you. Well, Mark, you take your time perfecting and crafting 12 Inches of Pleasure. We look forward to it whenever and wherever it drops. Thank you. And I want to tell all of you, thank you so much for having me on again. I really appreciate all of you. I'm a big fan of you guys. I'm a big fan of this podcast. And uh, through this podcast, I have met and made many friends Thanks to all of you, Leora and Mel, and a lot of people who've just listened to the podcast and listened to episodes that I've been featured on. You can find me on Instagram on DJ Mahogany. Reach out, send me a message. I'm always happy to respond. And um, I'm really thankful for this opportunity and thankful for all of you. Very grateful. So thank you all very, very much. Well, you are welcome, Mark. I don't think that this, at this point, this podcast wouldn't be exactly what it is without your presence. It's true. Both on the episodes and just the support you give us. I think there's a little bit of you in everything we do. You guys are very sweet. Thank you so much for the kind words. Thank you for everything. So these are two artists that there's so much out there that you could look into. We are out of time. So I would just recommend that people listen to more Bobby Gentry, more Glenn Campbell, and read about them. But... We are going to feature one more song by them. Their version of My Elusive Dreams is what we are going out on. This was written by Curly Putnam and Billy Sherrill. Do you guys remember the name Billy Sherrill from a previous episode? It was a while ago. Um, he's a Nashville guy, right? Wasn't he a producer as well? Like a big Tammy Wynette. Nashville sound. Uh, yeah. Okay. He, he was extensively worked with Tammy Wynette. And so Curly Putnam, actually, who he co-wrote, who Billy Sherrill co-wrote My Elusive Dreams with, did record the song in 1967. And that same year, Tammy Wynette and David Houston made it a duet, and it was a number one country hit. Uh, Actually, Tammy Wynette would later record it again with George Jones. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Of course. course. Uh, But this is a fantastic version. Mark, why did you choose this one i chose this song because like i mentioned earlier i love a song that tells a story oh this tells a story this (laughs) and this tells a heck of a story man it is 
It is kind of a wonderfully sweet, sad story of sorts. And that's what really drew me into this song or the lyrics and the story. And of course, Bobby and Glenn sound so fantastic on this song together. And that's why I chose it. Wonderful. Well, next time, if you don't already own this album, listener, next time you're in a used record store, buy a copy. We can almost guarantee there's one there. Yeah, just look up and you'll see a copy. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Very true. All right. Well, we'll get out of here on My Elusive Dreams. Thank you so much for listening to I'd Buy That for a Dollar. My name is Peter Cook. I'm Jeremy Ruggles. And I'm Sean Hartman. And I am Marty Weathersby. Shout out to DJ Whizbang Novelties, whom I love very much. Aw. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Thank you. I followed you to Texas. I followed you to Utah. Didn't find it there, so we moved on. I went with you to Alabama. Things look good in Birmingham. We didn't find it there, so we moved on. I know you're tired of my elusive dreams and schemes Oh, they're only fleeting things My elusive dreams You had my child in Memphis Then I heard of work in Nashville We didn't find it there Small farm in Nebraska to a gold mine.